Friends, our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she will not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will grant justice quickly to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story is at the heart of one of the most common and most honest questions I am asked. What's the point of prayer? And in an age where the phrase thoughts and prayers have become common currency, that question has only grown louder and more frequent. Now, what often happens is that when someone speaks of thoughts and prayers, a response now comes back that goes something like this. Never mind your thoughts and prayers. We want action and change. I wish we had not gotten into the habit of viewing those things as mutually exclusive. Because when evil in this world crops up, I want us to be a people who respond, who do everything in our power to make sure that whatever it is, it doesn't happen again. And at the very same time, when evil in this world crops up, I want us to be a people who do not hesitate to bring it to God and say, help, please. Jesus told the disciples a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that same city, there was a widow who kept coming to him. Many of you know that I used to live in Kansas City. I remember with remarkable clarity waking up one day in February of 2017 and hearing the news that a hate crime had been committed just down the street from us in Olathe, Kansas, a place where a number of my church members lived. Serenivas Kujibotla and Alak Matasani were engineers working for Garmin. They considered it to be their dream job. They stopped to get a drink after work one day, when a gunman entered the bar, looked around the room, yelled, get out of my country, and opened fire. Both Kujibotla and Madasani were shot. Ian Grillet, a stranger to the two men, 
rushed in to help, he was shot as well. All three were taken to the hospital. Kujibotla died later that evening. His wife, Sunayana Dumala, when she was interviewed, she said she had asked her husband just a few weeks ago if maybe they should move to another country where they might be safer. And he assured her that they would be just fine. In the midst of her grief, Dumala made a demand of the government. She wants a response to this crime and others like it. I need an answer, she said. I need an answer for everyone out there, not just for my husband, but for everyone. All of those people who have experienced something like this. I need an answer, she said. Which sounds awfully familiar. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming and saying, Grant me justice. So here is some of what we know about the Gospel of Luke. While some of the other Gospels were written to Jewish communities, Luke seems to be written primarily to Gentiles, which is to say, non-Jews. It's a gospel that wants its readers to understand that God offers life and love, hope and salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. It is a gospel written to include anyone who thinks they might be the ones left out. And as far as Luke is concerned, that includes not just the Gentiles, but anyone else at the fringes. Women and children, the poor and the broken and the stranger. It starts all the way back in the first chapter with the Magnificat, which is Mary's prayer to God celebrating that the hungry will be filled and the poor will not go wanting and the weak will be made strong. And that theme carries through the rest of the gospel And it is through the rest of that gospel that Jesus follows his mother's lead. He prays to God. In fact, by Luke's account, Jesus spends more time praying than he does anything else. The one who is justice incarnate, his most predominant action is prayer. This is incredibly instructive to me and helpful because I have to confess to you that even while a significant portion of my job is to be with you and pray with you and for you, there are moments when not being able to do more makes me feel rather powerless. Now, I don't mean something more like grabbing a scalpel and scrubbing it in on the surgery. That would benefit no one. I just often find myself wishing that my prayers could yield predictable and positive results. That's why I need this parable. There are some unhelpful ways to read it, interpretations that would suggest that if you don't get what you want, 
If every door doesn't eventually open for you, you are not faithful enough or you are not praying the right way. I suppose that there are some who think that's what it says, but that's not what it means. Because here's the thing, the widow in this story, she is lauded for her persistence. But persistence comes only when it's needed, when despite all of your best efforts, it's still not working out. And you only need encouragement to keep going when somebody else understands that you might be ready to give up. It's not in the text, but I suspect that the widow was met with an awful lot of silence for an awful long time. I suspect this champion prayer said a whole lot of prayers that got a whole lot of nothing in response. So if you hear nothing else today, hear this. If you are praying with all your might, and it feels like little more than talking into the wind, you're not doing it wrong. I promise. We aren't told the specifics of the widow's words because her words are not the important part of her prayer. She insisted on justice, which means she insisted that what was wrong be made right and that what was broken be made whole again. And that kind of prayer, that kind of determined and honest and urgent and faithful prayer can change anything. Even, sometimes, us. It wasn't all that long before the shooting in Olathe that I said goodbye to my friend Scott. And it was only five weeks before that that he was diagnosed with angiosarcoma. It's a cancer that is as aggressive as it is rare. And it was a situation that seemed to be as unfair as they come. Scott was a Presbyterian pastor, the very same age as me. He was married to Lara, his wife. Their first date was when they were 15 years old. Four small children completed their family. I'm not sure you need it. But if you want evidence that sometimes our prayers receive only silence in response, this is it. Despite the prayers of many, including hundreds of Presbyterian pastors, which is to say a whole bunch of professional prayers, his condition only worsened rapidly and painfully. During one of my less eloquent moments of prayer for my friend, I informed God, sometimes you make terrible choices. But despite having said that, not one fiber of my being believes that God chose for Scott, or anyone else for that matter, to get sick and suffer. Later, Lara admitted to me that her prayers started in that same place. But over time, she said, as she continued to pray, her prayers began to shift. 
we need a miracle, became, we need pain management. Please, no intubation became, please, can we have just a few last words? Give us as much time as possible became, grant him a swift conclusion. Let us keep him here with us became, let him go home to you. It was on February 13th that death reared its ugly head. Confused and intermittently unconscious, Scott still knew what mattered most. In their very last exchange, Lara asked him, who do you belong to? And despite everything that was happening and not happening in his body and in his mind, Scott said, I belong to God. Finding herself in that moment was not the answer Lara had prayed for, but it was the answer she needed. Knowing that Scott knew, no matter what, he was going to be okay. Prayer can change us. It can change our hearts and our hopes because interacting with God in those most vulnerable moments, whether you are saying thank you or I hate you, Prayer is the way we interact with God. It is one of the ways we look into the very face of God. And when we encounter the face of God, we see that we are made in God's image. We see something of our own reflection. And we cannot help but recognize the reflection of others, too. Even when we are praying our most individual and personal prayers, we are being pushed inevitably and irrevocably toward one another. To see ourselves in God's image is to see everyone else that way, too. And every week, we pray, Our Father, and those words alone bind us to one another. So maybe what we need to remember is rather than prayer yielding a desired outcome, prayer yields a divine connection. It is the way that we connect with God. I have no earthly idea what the mechanics of it look like, but maybe that is how it should be. Because prayer is the very stuff of heaven. It is the bright, shining threads that hold us together and connect us to God and bind us to each other. And I don't know about you, but if that was all that could be said for prayer, I would still find it well worth my while. I no longer remember who it was, but someone said a prayer is whatever words are uttered by someone who has realized that life is hard. Now this story today, it's not about one persistent widow. It's about three. 
We don't hear her name in the scripture reading, but sometimes her name is Lara, and sometimes her name is Suniana Dumala, and I don't know what her name will be tomorrow or the next week or the week after that, but she or he or they will be there. I do know that. T.S. Eliot once wrote that we are only undefeated because we go on trying. The entirety of scripture from Genesis to Revelation bears witness to the same through the grace of God. So keep trying. Keep knocking on the door until your hand is sore and your knuckles bleed. Keep demanding that what is broken be made whole and that what is wrong be made right. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing because connection with God is our first concern, our worthiest art, our best resource, and our deepest joy. It is our first defense and our last resort. Pray without ceasing because maybe, just maybe, prayer will brood over all of this disorder the very same way the Spirit once brooded over the deep and the void. And maybe, just maybe, it will change us enough. It will stitch us together with enough of that shimmering golden thread that we will indeed find ourselves able to summon forth a new world. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.